I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show yeah let's do it yeah let's get into let's it let's kick it See? yeah as they say as the kids say So many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to another episode. Of so many damn books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Katie Waldman in the damn library uh, today. She is the words correspondent at Slate. I love uh, that title. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks <laughs> That's a very cool title. Uh, you, you were formerly uh, at Parish Review in the New Yorker, and you were the host of Slate's audiobook club podcast indeed with the handy acronym abc i didn't even realize look for us on itunes (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the damn library thanks for joining us thanks um you are on during our crazy tournament of books march madness time and you also get to do to step into the commentary booth I do. Yes, Very I just, exciting. Um, me and my co-commenters just finished our top secret commentary and submitted it to Ooh. the folks. So. Nice. Oh, we'll keep wow. that close yeah. to the vest. Okay. We're, uh, let's, why don't we talk about what we're drinking this time, which I'm actually just calling the rooster. Oh, mm. that's appropriate. Uh, and it's, I, I took some uh, frozen mango. And you could probably use fresh mango if you wanted. Uh, lemon juice and made a, a lemonade with a little bit of simple syrup. And then I put in about almost a full ounce of sriracha, uh, rooster rooster sauce. And then uh, put in a little bit of Brooklyn gin, who was wonderful about giving us gin for this episode as well. Yeah. Thank you very That's much awesome. to Brooklyn gin. It's still incredible stuff. It's a nice, easy sip in thing yeah it's Makes perfect for this lemonade summer. yeah for the sun there was sunlight today i got off the train to come here and there was still sun yeah it's crazy yeah that it's was kind really of the nice. color of sunlight it's smooth oh yeah like it. it is <laughs> i'm gonna pretend like that was on purpose <laughs> so let's do the uh let's do what'd you buy 
Oh, yeah. What'd you buy? Yeah. Why don't we start with, do you want to start with, did you pick up anything great, Katie? Sure, but I didn't buy it. Oh, that's fine. It that, that's fine. Right. doesn't matter. So, sorry. That's like a stupid galley brag, but I'm so excited about this book. It's Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. Oh, yeah. Um, and it is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice, which does present the question, why on earth would you adapt this damn story again, again right? Because it has been done a thousand times and yet it is really fresh. I just finished it. Um, there's something so sort of pert and droll and true to Austin about the narrative voice that Curtis Sittenfeld is so good at that. She's such a sharp observer. I was going to say um, that like the dryness yeah. feels like it would be very appropriate for that sort of retelling. Yeah. Yeah. And this is part of the Austin project. So it's like... Um, at the bicentennial of Jane Austen, they're having a bunch of contemporary writers uh, take on her oh, cool. novels. Oh, sort of like the Hogarth Shakespeare's. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, huh. but I, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking like Pride and Prejudice. That's sort of the plum assignment. Like that's the crown jewel. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. What about you? Um, I have two subscription boxes that showed up in the last week. Oh, nice. Uh, one is Book of the Month Club, mm-hmm. and I got Alexander Chee's Queen of the Night. Ooh, cool. Which I'm very excited to finally Last two get guests into. I was, are, are like, shouting oh, at yeah. us to read it. It's like the new little life. Um, the other one is this company, Muse Monthly, where they send out a book and tea pairing every month. Um, and this most recent box was V.E. Schwab's uh, Gathering of Shadows, which is the second book in her magical alternate london series but it wasn't just book and tea there was like a bookmark and the book is signed and it felt like there was a little bit more curation involved this time what kind of tea was it um it's called a midwinter night's dream okay uh it's a a nice rich black tea with like a little bit of peppermint a little bit of chocolate it's like Mm -hmm. i'm not one for uh overly flavored teas but it's delicious um, how, about, how about you? Um, I actually, it's funny that we're talking drinking because I got a, a book by um, Paul Kruger and it's called uh, Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge. It's about like this mixologist at a bar who finds out that some of his drinks actually uh, imbue the drinker with magic powers and they have to fight like the denizens of the Chicago night great yeah that sounds awesome yeah so I, it feels like a pretty silly book but it, it also has cocktail recipes like in between as, like, as well as what power it would give you if it, you were in this world but are they cocktails or would you properly call them potions like magical Ooh. potions on the back it's calling them cocktails i so, like that yeah i do i i like that it's keeping it real even though it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> so wait what uh magic power does this mango lemonade sriracha thing imbue us with um i don't know maybe just uh flame flame thrower fingers let's talk about the tournament this was a crazy week yeah first round is done a lot of fun things happened this week a lot a couple sad goodbyes that we're gonna have to bid um yeah i'm pretty sad that story of my teeth lost yeah that was the one that i was actually really surprised it's the first thing that i had wrong on my bracket um i really thought story of my teeth was going to move forward yeah Yeah. i am bragging a little bit my my my, say well 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 yeah my my bracket was really good and then that broke it all apart 
Uh, I I didn't know that Spool of Blue Thread was going to have. Yeah, well, she's got, and Tyler, she has this like contingent of really strong supporters. And I feel like it's either you love her or you haven't really heard of her and you haven't really read her. I don't know if you guys get that impression. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also feel like it's it's sort of like the the book matchup that we commented on. where it was the Turner House versus Bannon Banlieu. Mm-hmm. And like one's a straightforward traditional novel with regular forward action, and the other one's a crazy amalgamation of many different things. And it's the same sort of thing with Story of My Teeth versus Spool of Blue Thread. Yeah, you have like an experimental, strange novel about an auctioneer who sells teeth versus yeah. like a, a family novel. Yeah, pretty straightforward yeah. family novel. Yeah. It did make uh, the the conversation around it did make me want to read the Ann Tyler, um, which I definitely have judged poorly by its cover. Mm. Um, it, it does have a kind of um, I don't know, like calm, not exciting. It's literal. It's literal. <laughs> yeah. It's called a spool of blood, and they're like, "What should we put on the cover?" Wait a minute, I have a flash of idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and I just, I, I, that's one of those that the UK covers much better, mm. um, as well. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that that was a pretty big upset because I really liked story of my teeth, even though I had problems with it. Um, uh, mostly that I didn't get, I don't know, over half of the references. So I felt like some of it wasn't, was kind of lost on me. That is really interesting because I feel like the really, um, citation happy books are uh-huh. not necessarily doing so well. Um, like Fates and Furies. Yeah. yeah. So those, but the, so that moves forward. Although there is the chance that Story of My Teeth will become a zombie. Apparently, we we learned that today. Yes. Story of My Teeth and With Fates a whole and new Furies. set of teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Story of my reanimated teeth. <laughs> Story of my dentures. I mean, the other crazy thing that happened this week was was everybody going nuts. Uh, not surprisingly around a little life yeah okay so i actually don't know what happened in this corner of the bracket oh man did they did okay, the little life a little life prolong went, its life yeah it did <laughs> so cory sicha and or sika cory sika he did an amazing thing where he kind of just like didn't like either of the books it seemed like and he really he really went to town on how strange it is that this book has the huge audience that it has when it is basically about, you know, sexual abuse and relentless suffering. Yeah. Like just and she called it didn't she call it a miserablest epic? Which <laughs> yeah. is like oh, a genre yeah. that was probably created for the express purpose of like describing a little life. Like <laughs> yeah. there's no like the book of Job maybe is the antecedent, but <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> that feels about right. Yeah. Um and and so a little life beat the new world, which was Originally an iPhone app and then a book. Um, yeah, when Atavist books still existed mm-hmm. as a publisher. Piece. Yeah, and so I didn't. I did think that a little life was going to win, but I also thought that Corey Sika, who likes to have um, unpopular opinions. Yeah, although I think there's been a pretty strong backlash to a little life, right? Like yeah. There's that David Mendelssohn yeah. review, and we actually discussed it on the audiobook club at Slate, and our critics. Did not, did not go for it. Um, well, yeah, I think that, I don't know. I, I, I loved that book and yeah. completely, um, top to bottom. Um, it came at me 
in a time in my life when I really needed it too, mm. um, where I could get lost in something. Yeah. And so I think that there's that, like if you don't get lost in that book, you, if, if you're not like somehow in it, if you're just like hovering above it, you will, you will not enjoy yourself probably. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I and, was surprised by what, like it was my first encounter with the backlash. It would like people who I was actually talking to who didn't like the book. Cause mm-hmm. up to this point, every person who I have talked to about the book has been like, A, when I hadn't yet read it, oh my God, why aren't you reading this book? Mm-hmm. And when I did read it, it was always, did you love it too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I really liked it, but I mean. But yeah, people were, were really anti. And then Nasli, who mm-hmm. is the sort of, I don't know, the coordinator of all of the tournament, actually came down into the comments and wrote a really long thing about what the book meant to her oh, and, wow. and wanting the book to be given a different, like more fair chance. Mm-hmm. Even going as far as like going into the comments and like replying to some people and being like, why are you reading it like this? Like I was very surprised. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about that book is that it does inspire like fervent believers. Yeah, it is. I think it's sort of the opposite of Fates and Furies in a way because they're both kind of sudsy and improbable in some ways or like melodramatic i guess Mm -hmm. is what i mean but a little life hits you on the level of emotion and just like rivets you there and fates and furies i think is a much more intellectualized thing where it's like you know throwing citations at you and asking you to consider like I don't know, archetypes, male versus female, and ideas about like fate and destiny. Whereas a little life is like the ideas are just, I don't know, muddy or I'm not sure I really followed if there was an argument or not, but it was just so sort of immersive and powerful mm. in ways I can't quite account for intellectually, even. Yeah. 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 My intellectual reader brain wants to pick that book apart because there are moments where I'm like, did you, did anybody edit this? What were you trying to do here? And then that, as I was reading it, that voice was consistently like getting tied up and thrown in a closet <laughs> by the rest of my, it was just like, just just read, just keep going. Should we talk Fates and Furies more? Yeah, I was going to say. Let's my, go back to Fates and Furies. My one, even though it is, it is sadly out, hopefully it'll zombie, but... Yeah, I, I don't think that there's a there's a world where Fates and Furies doesn't come back as the zombie. I kind of think that there's no way it's got to be Fates and Furies in a little life. I don't I don't I don't know that it gets kicked out a little life, but I just feel like Jeff Vandermeer. If it goes past this guy, I really don't think Jeff Vandermeer would push that forward over probably the sellout. Yeah, although over Spool of Blue Thread, who knows? <laughs> the Cinderella story nobody wants. <laughs> Um, Guys are killing me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Fates and Furies is it. It also had that strange, like, really strong reaction of like a lot of people talking about how much they hated it. Really? Yeah. In in the comments section, I mean, like vitriol. Yeah. What was their reasoning? I think. This is something that I'm realizing this year in particular. There's like a l- real big anti-rich person sentiment. Mm. And so like A Little Life was like, oh, that's just about four people that become rich. I can't relate to that. And yeah. then like The Invaders is set in that rich right, like coastal right. community. Although it skewers it. Like yeah. that's the whole point. Yeah. But they're like, I don't care about these rich people problems. Yeah. Yeah. And then this one is like 
sort of says like becoming rich in the thing that you do is like yeah. the most important thing to be striving for. Although I think there's also maybe like an aesthetic thread in this book that like aligns with wealth and maybe that's why people are like looking at it askance. Like I'm not sure that it thinks that money, that the book thinks that money is paramount but I think it does have this very strong aesthetic sensibility that's like the forms and the colors and the delicacy of things like mm-hmm. the beauty of things is really important and perhaps more important than the ethics right. of things well yeah and beautiful things often tend to cost more right yeah, yeah. the um for for some reason the conversation about around fates and furies is always about believability like, I couldn't believe that this yes, would happen, which yes. I don't get. Such a pet peeve, too. I mean, like, <laughs> it, oh. obviously, you have the fates or the furies or both chiming in from, like, some ancient beyond. Like, this is not a realist novel. <laughs> <laughs> the minute that started happening in the book, that was, and I was like, yep. Yeah. I, I love this book, and nothing that can happen over the course of the rest of this book is going to change my mind about it. If, uh, if you can't believe that people like this exist, I don't think that's true because there's definitely people that are so much like Lotto and Matilde. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, can you not believe there that like someone could keep a secret for that amount of time? Because like, or I, I just don't get the believability thing where even even though they, it deals with these huge mythic things, like at the end of the day, this is about like a marriage that is succeeding in spite of itself. I think, I think there's a sense that like you that destiny doesn't interfere in people's lives in the way that the book suggests it does, but I think that's a misreading of the book. Like the book mm-hmm. is about how the way you perceive your own life and like the way you move through the world shapes your experience. So, yeah. you know, it's about Lotto thinking that everything is luck and that he's just sort of this golden boy. And so that happens for him. Like he's not passive. He's building that life for himself. And Matilde thinks it's all fierce will and determination. And lo and behold, like that's the way her life plays out. And I think people are like, but it doesn't make sense. Like you have to pick one. Like the world is either governed by luck or it's governed by will. And the point of the book is like, no, the way you see it is the way you make it for yourself. Yeah. I I really like that. I guess people have a problem with something that is like a little bit like reality turned up to 11. Mm. And I do wonder, like, does that mean you just want to read books about regular people doing regular things? Like what, why is that like the, the, yeah. Yeah. Like why not escapism? And I do think that maybe it's a question of subverted expectations. Like you get to the lotto section and it feels like one of those wryly observed social comedies of manners. Like, you know, here they are at their dinner party and here they are at college and you sort of get into that. Oh, it's the love affairs of Nathaniel P or something. Mm -hmm. And then it flips over into Matilde and it's like, oh my God, this is Gonzo Lemony Snicket. Like uh, (laughs) all these really weird, like she's living with a prostitute grandmother and then like her crime lord uncle and uh, this is implausible I guess and so maybe it's the idea that you think you're getting one thing and then you get something else um, but then I'm like deal with it it's a, it's a twist <laughs> yeah it's a big twist yeah. And, yeah. And it was like a cool sort of surprising thing for me and and I, I do believe in a in someone like Matilde who would like to be like the invisible hand in that way that she's like helping Lotto and he doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. Like that she's preserving this um, 
I don't know, I guess illusion for mm-hmm. him. I think that that's really kind of almost, it's beautiful, really. That Do you she, think she does it out of love? Yes, I think that is what, that's what's, I, I what, agree. what do you say? I think she has like some strange artist creation relationship with him. I think that she is like this creative force and he is her material. Like oh. his life is the way she expresses her creative dynamism. You, oh, so you, I, I'm not sure. Like I'm so not su- subtly pushing him away from from acting in that way and being like, let me mold you into the writer that you should be. Yeah, I think like he's a mix between her muse and her creation and she is the artist of the book. Mm. Do you think that that uh, is incompatible with the idea of it being love? No. I think a lot of artists love their work. Yeah. Yeah. But it it does put it at a strange power dynamic level though. Yeah. Of like he's being worked on by her. Well, but I mean the great. I I use this example a lot, and I just love it so much, and so I want to keep using it. But like, it's like the Macbeths, mm-hmm. where like they the the joke in theater circles is that they are the happiest couple in Shakespeare, um, which like when that play starts is true. She's like, man, my guy could be king. I am gonna push him to do it. And I sort of feel like towards the end of the lotto section of that book, he has grown into his own, like she's still editing him and helping him, but he, she's almost like sculpted him and then set him off. And now he's like, Oh yeah. And he's starting to get away from her um, and think about other things, but pursue younger musicians and say borderline sexist things that yeah talks yeah, yeah exactly. well that not even borderline yeah. um but but <laughs> that seemed to be the moment of maybe that she was disappointed with her creation like mm-hmm. uh, she was like they'd gotten yeah. so far and then like he turned out to not be able to operate on the level that she wanted him to I, I'm curious I'm curious about it coming back as a zombie. I think it will because it's just one of these popular books. You know, people knew about it. You know, President Obama said it was mm-hmm. his favorite book of the I year, which that. also that made me so happy. That but it does make me question a lot about Obama. Just like <laughs> is is who does he see himself as? Right. Like do all men automatically identify as the husband, Lotto, and then say like, oh because um actually um, my colleague Laura Miller has a theory that this book is so popular because most readers are, you know, middle class women and they're thinking, ugh, of course. Like the guy just thinks that this is all just happening automatically. And <laughs> the wives are thinking, no, it's because I'm checking the schedule and picking up the kids and making dinner. <laughs> like you guys just don't get it. You think it's just the destiny of the world. Um, I'm not sure I subscribe to that theory, but it is pretty funny. <laughs> I do. I I like the idea that he read it and and did sort of see himself as partially Lotto and saw mm. Michelle as partially Matilda. Oh, totally. Yeah, like I I see that. So I do you think that. he like watches House of Cards and it's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I wonder about that. I don't. I think. Uh, I think the Underwoods are probably closer to the Clintons than they are the Obamas. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other like big marriage novels. Like uh, when I think of 
like Revolutionary Road by um, Richard Yates. Oh. Which actually has, I think there's a lot of um, echoes uh, of Revolutionary Road and like sort of trying to create a shared vision and then watching that vision like fall apart. Yeah. I mean, I can think of a lot more sort of disenchanted housewife novels like Department of Speculation and Mm -hmm. just like this it seems to be that there's a lot of fiction out there that's sort of like women feeling trapped by their husbands but not having the husband play an equal part um, as like a protagonist. So like the marriage is a unit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what both of you would have to say. Do you think at the end of the day if you had to sort Lotto and Matilde, a happy marriage or an unhappy marriage? I'd say happy. I thought they had a very happy marriage. I agree. What do you think? Right, it's hard because there's sort of the obvious indicators. They have great sex. (laughs) They they do, they fulfill functions for each other. I think it's hard for me actually just to square Matilde's personality with happiness. Mm. Ooh, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that if anyone's capable of delivering that dream it would probably be Lancelot. (laughs) (laughs) Let's, let's, uh, let's move to recommendations, stuff that uh, people should read in the world that aren't uh, tournament books. Do you want to, do you want to start us, Drew? Um, I've got one that I actually thought of because of uh, a book that you referenced earlier, Katie, um, Private Citizens by Tony Tulatimute. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me a lot of the love affairs of Nathaniel P. Mm. In terms of the way that it, it's being described as like the first great millennial novel. Which a, it's not the first. B, we're probably going to see like another ten or fifteen that are called the, the first, first great, great millennial. millennial. Yeah. Allow me to chug my drink. <laughs> <laughs> but in the way that. Nathaniel P, uh, I felt like it got into my head and also into the heads of like everyone else who I knew. And I was like, oh, I've been this guy, but I've also been everybody else in this circumstance. Yeah. Um, I felt like Private Citizens kind of aims for the same thing, but with um, also like trying to refract it through the literary canon mm-hmm. um, in a way that it's not always successful but it is always compelling i'm kind of obsessed with adele waldman as a reader of like 19th century novels she wrote this thing for the new yorker about like the different ways that men and women novelists have imagined love and how it is it was so good it was like when i was thinking about jane austen and eligible it like blew my mind because she basically says that for male authors there's this kind of like spiritual connection that is ineffable and you can't really describe it and it's sort of like this meeting of souls and then women tend to be in her argument like Jane Austen or the Brontes it's a much more like pragmatic um measured meeting of minds and sort of idea of partnership um and I just thought that was so she proves the point really well like using Tolstoy versus Austin oh cool Um, it it was it was really great and it made me want to go back and reread Nathaniel P like through that lens yeah oh that makes me want to do that too I can't wait to see what she does next too yeah I need to read this book apparently 
Yes. That's another yes, recommendation. you do. <laughs> Stop. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> uh, do you have a recommendation, Katie? I do. I actually have been um, sort of dipping in and out of A.O. Scott's uh, Better Living Through Criticism, Oh, which is so good. It's like um, I need to take it drip by drip because like each drip is so full and mm-hmm. he is such a kind of um, 3D thinker. Like there's always a billion things happening at once in any one of his sentences. Um, and it's not always about criticism, but he will apply his critical mind to a work of art. And that sort of proves the whole point, like because the criticism that he d- performs is so illuminating and interesting and funny. Like he's really funny. Yeah. Um, like he has this uh, passage where he's talking about um, the Rilke poem that ends, you must change your life. And he basically says like, in Soviet Russia, art critiques you. And so, <laughs> you know, um, this statue has the power, like you think you're looking at it, but actually it's gazing at you. And what you become aware of is your own presence as you like walk into the presence of this work of art. And he said, like, that's what art really does. Like it takes your measure. Um, and I'm botching the way he frames it, but it is, it's really powerful and it's really cool. That's cool. Where does yeah. he usually review for or so he is the film critic for the new york times that's what still, i thought yeah i think okay. yeah cool wow yeah it sounds really good yeah how about you sir oh i am um, so i talked about this book in what you buy a couple episodes ago but um i read it uh, dog's body by diane Wynne jones mm. and um it's incredible it's about sirius the as a as a star um, I guess his he's framed for murder in the stars. And so his uh, his punishment is to live the life of a dog on Earth until he f- can find this other thing that's supposed to. Anyway, so it's an incredible book. And it's from like, it's a great dog's perspective book. You that do is such a those. cool premise. Yeah. Uh, Wait, have you read other great dog perspective books? Oh, uh, yeah, I've read a few. I, uh, Ribsy by Beverly Cleary is one of the great ones. Okay. Um and of course, Garth Stein's The Art of Racing in the Rain is really good. I have not read that. Um, oh, I like, a... I'm going to start crying just thinking about that. <laughs> um, uh, there are others. Um, I, I bought this one called 15 Dogs by... Yes! Wait, is that the one where like Apollo and Hermes make a bet? I read that and it was so depressing. It was like more depressing than a little life. <laughs> um, but I guess it depends on like whether you like or value dogs' lives more than human lives. And I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so don't read that book. <laughs> no, I, I'm going Spoilers. to. I'm going to. Because yeah. um, I, I can't pass up a good... And I actually I found out that Virginia Woolf wrote a book about her Wait, dogs what? yeah and now i'm really excited about that too oh that's cool i was i was i was you know googling like 10 best books from dogs perspective <laughs> <laughs> um, and google wrote back are you lonely <laughs> <laughs> google's like hello christopher <laughs> googling this again are you <laughs> just get a dog already <laughs> So thank you so much for... Uh, that's it, right? Yeah. Do you have I more? So. Do you have oh. other things you want to say? Katie, you want to shout something to somebody? No. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad you had come. Yeah. Oh. And uh, we will be back next week. I think it's just us next week. I think so. Um, for more tournament coverage. And uh, we hope you stick with us for that. Yes. 
tweet, review, all those things that Christopher normally says. Yeah, you don't need to hear it again. I Just like do it. I like when you guys write iTunes reviews. It makes me happy. Please he do does. it. He texts me at odd hours of the day and <laughs> night. <laughs> The torch, right? Is that a Fantastic Four guy? The human torch, yeah, he's part of the Fantastic Four. Whatever. It's a good try, though. I'm no nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's the co-host of a book podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 